there is a weed whacker, gas-powered cutter in the back. Yep, I, I hear it, yeah. Oh, no, that's fine, but yeah. Okay, it's pretty loud here, but I think that the noise can't change microphones as well. Um, in any case, um, you ask a question about remembering. And uh, as you are most aware, um, sati is the whole quality of remembering. Except that kwati, sati has the quality of remembering to look at what's going on right now. Now, uh, the kind of question that you had was uh, the fear of not remembering things that you need to remember at the point in time when you need to remember them the most. Almost like a kid who is getting ready for an exam. Yeah. Okay, is that kind of it? That's exactly right, yeah. Okay. Well, the first thing that we can cover is the issue that the human memory is not very good. Let us say that um, that humanity is evolution's first crack at um, consciousness, or let us say um, understanding that goes beyond dogs. Because dogs don't remember much of anything. Right. <laughs> uh, there's not much to remember. In fact, it's worth remembering, but humans have the idea that things are worth remembering. And so we've had to learn to remember. Um, an example of that would be that if the husband and wife has a big fight at nine o'clock, they'll be angry at each other all day. But if you punish a dog at nine o'clock in the morning, he's going to be in your lap by noon. Right. He will have forgotten all about it. Right. Now, who's better off? (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So uh, the question then is um, around uh, the issue of what is worthy of remembering because we already have established that we don't remember things very well. And uh, the whole point of, and in fact, the proof of that is the reason that you called. In other words, if you had a really, really excellent memory, then that wouldn't be anything. But it, no matter how excellent someone's memory is, it could be improved. Sure. That uh, in fact, there is a lot of improvement techniques that have been developed over time. A lot of improvement techniques. One of them, in fact, the one that I was taught, I think it was in the sixth grade. And that was the, uh, the teaching that a short pencil is better than a long memory. <laughs> Write it down. <laughs> uh huh. And yet I never took that to heart. Because I, I, um, I, I followed a different drummer, I guess, rather than that, because all the kids take notes in class. Everybody goes around with a short pencil trying to substitute that for a long memory. But the style that I used was pay attention to what's happening. If you're paying close attention to what's happening, that's the part of it that makes it rememberable. <laughs> 
is because we're looking and we're paying attention. That generally the things that the kids uh, forget on the test are the things they don't care a bunch about anyway. Right. But the things that they really care about, they're going to get that part right on the test. Okay. So every one of us is now in the position of going out and taking life's test daily. It's like a pop quiz every day. Not only a pop quiz every day, but it's a pop quiz in every class that we're in and every day. So with that kind of um, understanding, uh, everyone is going to be making mistakes on their test because they don't remember the answers to all of the questions. Right. That is the definition of human society right there. If we could remember all that we are told, if we remembered all we were told because we were paying attention and listened to all that we were told and absorbed it interestingly as we as it was being told, then memories would be a lot higher. And so we have the issue of the input. Then we have the uh, uh, sustainment of keeping it in memory and then the uh, bringing it up and reprocessing it in the current situation. So there's three aspects of memory. And that most of the problems with memory is the input. If we don't take it in properly, and if we don't take it in properly, then we don't get it. An example of that is the kid who's listening to the teacher in class when they're covering the subject and is really curious and interested in the topic and asking questions, et cetera, like that. When it comes to the exam, he doesn't have to do much study on that particular topic because he already knows it. Mm -hmm. Where the other kids who weren't listening very carefully, when the time comes for the exam, now they've got to study. But they don't want to study, just like they didn't want to listen in class. Right. And because they didn't want to study, it's hard work. Learning is hard work when you don't want to do it. Everything is hard work when you don't want to do it. And so it's a lot about the attitude. So uh, this is just typical. I'm not talking about you in particular, but everyone is like this. This is natural kind of thing. So if you have the interest in knowing something, then you have the interest by into learning it, and then it won't be a memory problem at all. Now, there's another point about that that's really quite interesting. And that is going to Socrates, because Socrates, in his dialogues and asking questions, began to point out that learning is not absorbing data, but learning is, in fact, the ability to display that you have learned it. Right. Okay, so take, in fact, the, the learning is the test itself, not the classroom time before the test. Right. That's an interesting point, is can the student bring it up, that, that, uh, that data that, that he has learned, and if he is uh, emotionally uh, involved with, oh, no, I may bunk this test because I'm not sure about the answers, then while he's thinking about that, 
he's not thinking about the actual answers to the questions. But if he walks into the test with the attitude, oh, I've got this wired, then he'll enjoy taking the test. He may, in fact, think that he's guessing about an answer when, in fact, he kind of knew it all along anyway. But if he's uh, afraid of the test, then he's adding a whole lot of extra emotional baggage to it. Okay, so let's look at that, knowing that uh, learning has these three qualities, the input, that if we're curious and interested in something, then and can figure it out. Sometimes it takes a while to figure it out, but once we figure it out, um, generally the component parts that came uh, to putting this thing together in the mind, we remember them because we've mulled them over and we figured it out. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so uh, generally not remembering something also has the quality of doubt built into it because we're not, uh, we don't really understand because we don't uh, have track of all of the features and factors. And this is kind of an um, an important point is is that if we understand the overall point, then um, we can put things into context a lot better. Possibly an example of that would be the first lesson or the first um, classroom that a professor at the university teaches is the most important class because that's the class where he tells the students what they should be paying attention to, what's important to him. And right. he'll announce that, and then he may never say it again for the whole rest of the class. He just assumes that everybody is taking uh, the context that he has set up and putting all the information into that context so they can plug it in here and plug it in there and, and get a sense of really what's going on. But most kids, we, um, we, we just kind of collect data uh, individual points of data because we think that there's, that's going to be a question on an exam without putting it into the context. So um, the way that we gather data and our attitude about it and the way that we store data in the sense that are we storing the data just as individual random pieces of data or are we putting that data into a context or into um, uh, let us say, uh, finding a place or a niche where this information or this piece of data fits in. Right. Um, that's a really, really valuable point is to recognize that. So um, the, the, the bigger, bigger or deeper point now, we've talked about getting the data in and, and processing it in a way so that it will store and stay because it's got a context and it fits in with other facts. Now we have to look at how we're going to bring the data out at the time when we're actually taking the test. Okay. So now we have, that's the third item. When and how are we going to handle this particular thing also has a lot to do with attitudes in the sense of, oh, I've got this. I can handle this easily enough because I understand the context in the first place. 
And so okay. understanding of the context is how we're going to plug all of the details of knowledge into place. And then uh, we have the confidence that we can bring that whole context back out to fit that data in. This is very, very handy for taking the test, but all of this has to do with um, emotional stuff that in fact the, the emotional part is the bigger issue because if um, we're curious and interested in the information in the beginning, then it's easier to gather the information. If we're curious and interested in how this data fits into the context of things, then we'll have it stored better. Right. And if we have the right attitude when we take the test, then we'll be able to access that data much easier without, without having to have a pity party about do I remember it or not. Okay, so with that context, we can start looking at um, the, the deeper point then is the sati that we need to remember how to remember things. So sati then is the process of remembering rather than the facts that are to be remembered. Right. Okay, so when we're learning something, if we have the sati to remember that I will learn this and remember it better if I am curious and interested in it. And if I'm not interested in it, then I probably won't learn it. But see, we don't even think about that. We just think of this as something that I've got to learn and we don't pay attention to the fact that I'm not interested in this topic at all. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm not interested. I was assigned this class, I was put into this class, and I'm just not even in, interested in the topic. Right. Or I can't do it, which is another one. The attitude that I can't do it, I can't learn this. And we, we pick that habit up as, as kids. Okay, that this is beyond me. But it's really, the information is not beyond us. What really is going on is, is that we um, are not interested enough in the topic to want to learn the data. If we are curious and interested in the topic a lot, then we will mull it, we will pick it up, we will uh, uh, look for new data, we'll look for various ways of doing it, and then when we do get the, the correct understanding of it, all the constituent components that we needed to get that understanding are now part of the memory bank because we've exercised them. A really good example of that is calculus. Because calculus is really difficult to understand, but when you do understand the various pieces and parts of the calculus uh, process, then we understand calculus. But by understanding the calculus, that means that now that we can remember all those constituent components. Right. That's the important point. So we're coming again back to the attitude. Attitude is everything. So do you uh, cultivate, are you saying cultivate uh, that attitude with things that you normally aren't interested in or create an interest? Well, or? you don't have to decide that. If you have wisdom, you can decide whether this is worth learning or not, rather than doing that decision subconsciously based on the feelings. Right. Okay. So make okay. it conscious, I guess. 
Make it conscious, exactly. Look at what you're going. Have the sati enough to recognize how you feel about it right now. Okay. Okay, that's the important thing. And we need that all three times. We need it when we're learning it. We're needing it when we organize it. And we need it when we're bringing it back out. Okay. We need that sati all three times because... um, You've heard me say it in the sense of Murphy's Law, that uh, anything that can go wrong will go wrong, and it will go wrong at the worst possible moment. In this case, learning something is the worst possible moment. I've got to learn this thing. Okay. Anything that can go wrong will go wrong, which means I didn't remember it. I didn't remember it. I've, I've forgotten it, or I never learned it in the, in the first place well enough. Okay, so this is the, um, uh, the way that we're going to approach this, is this present moment. What is my attitude towards this? Can I change my attitude towards it? Now, there's something else with that, and that is is that there is also, um, it's the same kind of memory exactly, but it has to do with that paying attention that we talked about in the sense of learning something. A really example of what I'm talking about is is that the guy opens the the door to his house because he's in a hurry to get to the bathroom, and on the way, he sets down his cell phone and his car keys on the way to the toilet. Now I can't find them. <laughs> now I can't find either one of them. <laughs> yeah. He didn't pay attention to where he set those things down because his only intention was is to get to the toilet. Right. And that's what he had in his mind. And because of that, he wasn't paying attention to setting the phone down. So... This is, again, how we begin to recognize that we've got a learning here. If we remember to remember, or if we remember to look, if we remember to pay attention, if we um, are practicing various aspects of Anapanasati, including with the hands and whatnot, because we're conscious and aware of our hands so much, when we set something down, we know that we're setting it down, and we know where we put it. one of the things that happened to me, just on, on a side note, was is that when I was a child, I was, I think all kids, are very, very disorganized <laughs> and sloppy. And this and that can go anywhere because we're not paying attention to where we put stuff. Mm-hmm. That goes for a while if you don't own much. In other words, if you've only got three pairs of, of pants... You can probably keep track of three pairs of pants. But if you've got 75 pairs of pants, you may not remember where all of them are. There may be some of the pants in the basement that you haven't worn in years and you've forgotten all about them. You see? Right. All right. However, if you had a closet that was very, very organized and all 75 pairs of those pants would be right there in the closet, because you, you, you organized them and you paid attention to where things were being placed. Right. Now, and you're, I not spe- to, you're not spending an hour looking for it every day. <laughs> right. You spent the hour organizing the stuff, and now you don't have to spend many, many hours looking for stuff because it's all organized. 
I had to learn that lesson after I was a computer scientist. Because, see, the number of physical things that I own is probably under 10,000, probably under 1,000. But the number of files that I own and take care of is in the millions. <laughs> and they need to be organized. An example of that is Vicky Buddha Dasa's stuff needs to be kept together with uh, under a label of Vicky Buddha Dasa, as opposed to Achan Chai's stuff is under the label of Achan Chai. And I don't mix the two together, nor do I mix all the other stuff and just throw it in there. But if you've got movies, uh, the way that they're organized here is Westerners. There's a um, one hard drive that has only Westerns or another half drives that has only old movies. Mm-hmm. OK, so this is all about the organization. So paying attention to how things are organized in the house means that we can remember where we put them. The same thing is true about abstract information that if we remember the context to remember how this stuff fits in or where it belongs, then we can easier remember it. And so a lot of this also has to do with the paying attention to where we put stuff in the beginning. So this goes around again about the attitude of, am I well organized? Do I have, uh, if I'm going to uh, be exposed to this information, the only reason why I would is because I'm going to need it later. Let me make sure that I'm actually putting this data in my mind in a place where I can find it later. Right. That we do that with our mind, that we have the mind disorganized, just like we have the house disorganized. And now we're looking for the car keys and the uh, cell phone inside the mind because things are not organized there either. Right. So. We're talking about the organization. These are all, let us call it memory tricks or things that you can do consciously in the beginning. For instance, if the kid walked into the class with the intention of I've got to learn and pay attention to what the teacher is saying, then he's much more likely to to do that. He's got that attitude that I want this and I'll get it. Most kids, when they go into class, they don't have that attitude. They don't get that attitude until exam time. <laughs> right. They're thinking about what they're going to do after class. Right, right exactly. <laughs> that what we're doing right this very moment is uh, is unvaluable, not wholesome. So it, basically what I'm leading all of this up to is, is that each of these three periods of time the initial period of collecting the data, the organization of the data where it fits in, in into a particular context, like as the example of Western movies go into the Western directory, and the old movies go into the old directory, and chick flicks go into the chick flick directory, and um, Asian martial arts movies go into a category with Asian martial arts movies. That way we can find them because we know what we're looking for, because we know the organization. We can do that also with our knowledge of, say, history or music or whatever else the class is, or in fact, the kind of job that we have will require us to, to remember to put things in, to get them organized so that they fit into a context. And then we can retrieve that data 
at the right time. All three of those events uh, are problematic for people so that we don't take information in very well. We don't keep track of it very well. We don't have it very well organized. And then we're not able to uh, pull that data out when we need it, even though the data may be in there. It's surprising me how accurate our, in, our, um, our storage mechanism is. It's just that the retrieval is so lousy. That in fact, many, many um, people who have gotten into uh, meditation and have done a lot of clearing out, one of the surprises is, is that they begin to remember things that happened long ago that they had completely, basically, uh, in quotations, forgotten all about. Mm-hmm. Most people do not remember many of the things that happened to them before the age of five or six. We just don't remember that stuff. Why? Because we weren't organizing. We weren't paying any attention to it. But once we get the mind more organized, that data will be be accessible. That's so that uh, uh, so that you can remember many, many thousands of things that happened when you were two and three and four years old that we normally would not have access to because of all of the other things that are disorganized in the mind. Mm-hmm. And that one of the ways that we disorganize things is by, uh, just like in computers, a file uh, will have a name to it, or mm-hmm. it'll have um, a way of accessing it. That you can sort afford, uh, sort files by date to look at maybe the, the the thing happened at that particular date and whatnot. One of the ways that us humans organize stuff within the mind is with the emotion in the sense that we put all the stuff that really, really hurt off into the category of this really hurts. Right. Okay, and with with that kind of organization system, then we don't want to deal with things that really, really hurt, so we kind of forget all about them, and yet they keep coming back up, and when they do, we hurt. Mm-hmm. Because we hurt, we're... we're All we really remember then is the hurt, not the details. But if we can dredge something up without having any emotional baggage, it doesn't hurt anymore. Now I could see it more clearly. And so this is also a point that when we when we store things, we often store it with a lot of emotional baggage. And also uh, aren't. Go ahead. Uh, our, our, like most memories I have seem to be flashes. They're not really movies per se. You know what I mean? They're little bits of stuff, which then will associate to another little small bit. You know, like I get a quick image, emotion, you know. It just, That's exactly you know. right. Congratulations for seeing that. That was something that I was going to cover. And yeah. that is, is that you're exactly right, because if there is emotional baggage to that memory, then all we have to do is have the flash of that memory. And now the next mind moments are going to be in emotion. They're going to be in feeling. They're going to be in reaction to that flash, right. as opposed to continuing that flash and making it a movie because we're paying attention to the movie, rather than paying attention to how we feel about the movie. Ah. <laughs> 
All right. So, but this happens a lot that people will have a flash of a thought and then they'll have a feeling about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's say the feeling is anxiety. Sure. And then they come to the therapist or to their guru or someone and say, I feel this anxiety, but they, we, we call it free floating or I don't know where it comes from. Okay. The answer to that is that's because they're not paying attention to those flashes. That one mind moment that takes about a tenth of a second that can be um, just colors. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't have to be details. An example of that is, is that you see an invoice and you don't want to pay it, so you put it down. But that, that invoice has kind of flashes, let us say the flash of the logo of the company that sent it or the flash of the, uh, the way that the lines are, are seen on the paper so that you can have a flash of that invoice come popping up in the mind and immediately we start feeling bad. Mm-hmm. But it was just a flash of an invoice. We didn't even see the invoice. It happened too fast for us to get any details at all about that invoice. Right. That in fact, when we first saw the invoice, all we saw was the bottom line of it. We didn't even pay attention to any of the details of it. So that was not part of memory anyway. That all we have is that piece of paper that flashes in the mind, followed then by bad feelings. Mm-hmm. But even though we didn't pay much attention to that, um, that invoice when we saw it the first time, because we immediately went into bad feelings because we saw only the bottom line, if you set Without the feelings, you can actually reconstruct in your mind that invoice. Most of the details are there. You saw it. That data Mm -hmm. came in, but it didn't come in in a way that's accessible, especially when the thought of it comes back up. It brings up emotions also. This is exactly what happens to the kid when he's taking the test, that when he sees that question, He's going to have, uh, instead of dredging up his memory and, and thinking about it and then paying attention to the, the question itself, he's already in bad feelings. Mm. I don't know what's going on. And that's exactly what started this with uh, when, when you first called about the point that we, that we don't remember things and then we feel bad because we don't remember things. Right. And now that we're feeling bad, that's what's going on is the bad feelings about not remembering things. Mm-hmm. If you have sati, if you can wake up to that, you can say, never mind that question. I'll come back to it later. Let me not get myself into a bad state. It's not important. Yeah, I'm not going to remember everything. Let right. me go do what I can do and get a, and, and feel good about it. So maybe even the right way to take a test is to read through the test before you ever answer any of the questions. Mm-hmm. Because if you're if you're reading through it without the intention of answering the question, then you can read through it and probably get more out of the question. Because many times, in fact, most teachers do it this way intentionally for the kids is that they put the questions uh, that has the answer built into the question itself. Right. <laughs> All you have to do is read the question properly and the answer to it probably built in. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I find that consistently amusing. 
<laughs> the teachers put the uh, they they answer the question as they're by the way that they're asking the question. Right. Yeah. Uh, making uh, putting two things in the in the question together uh, means that oh the answer to that question lies in those two elements that are in the question. So we can find ways of digging through that, but we have to be free from the emotion. Well, basically, Anapanasati is all about that anyway. What I'm saying is, is that um, it is fairly well known that when people uh, are skilled and are practicing meditation correctly, their ability to assimilate data and remember it goes up substantially. Why? Because it's not got the emotional component in there anymore. That when we store things, we don't store them under the emotion. We store them in a more logical place of where they belong. Right. Okay. So the whole point then is to have sati when you're learning, have sati when you're understanding and putting the stuff together, and to have sati when you retrieve the data. It's all about the sati to remember how you feel and to remember that you can feel the way that you want to feel about the learning. Okay. Now, even if it's old data that you had learned and didn't learn it very well, but now you need that data. And since you, uh, the immediate thought is, oh, I don't know. And then we begin to feel bad Mm because we can have flashes of things that give us uh, confusion as well as a flash of something like an invoice that gives anxiety. We can have a flash of something and we become confused. So that uh, there there is a a way of talking about that. We can call it see feel that we can see things or or flashes of of something in the mind and then we wind up feeling Mm -hmm. feeling bad about it. Right. Instead of staying on that and continuing with the flashes. So we go only for the flash of, uh, of the data itself. And then we spend the rest of the time. Oh, poor me. I don't know the answer to that. Oh, I should have studied harder. <laughs> right. I, I get more of a I should have remembered that because now it's causing another issue that I didn't remember, <laughs> you know, on just daily items or whatever or. You know, if it's, you know, a financial thing that I needed to remember and I didn't do it or whatever, but usually it's, you know, just regret that I didn't remember something at the appropriate time, you know. Okay, but now the problem is not that you've forgotten. The problem is now that you're regretting. Exactly. Yes. (laughs) Okay, that you've gotten. uh, And so what you could remember, the sati was, oh, just because I've forgotten something doesn't mean that I have to be in regret, that I can take responsibility for that. That in fact, the feeling of the taking that, yes, I did that, I screwed it up. I'll learn something from that. Right. Well, I I know this is not the right way to think about it, but I do, I often think about it in the fact that if I don't, this is where the remembering part comes. If I don't repeat this and beat myself up about it, I'm going to forget it again. <laughs> so that's, I guess that's kind of the back in the back of my mind. Like if, if I let this go and don't make it really important, 
then I'm going to forget this again, and then that's going to cause even more trouble. So it's it's a circular kind of thing. I mean, I know it's it's stupid. But, well, but. <laughs> and that kind of stuff, though, can be care- taken care of with a calendar. That's the short pencil is better than a long memory. Right, right. Well, okay, I, so- I, I have an issue with that, too, because I have a to-do list that's like 4,000 items. So I, I, I think I overdo that, too. But but yes, I do understand what you mean by that. Um, yeah, I mean, I try to write everything down. I do. I'm 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 a calendar freak and a and a to do freak. Almost probably too much. So okay, well, probably <laughs> that you're doing that. So you're you're hearing what I'm saying, and you're saying, yeah, I'm checking that. But but you're you're such a calendar freak because you're afraid that you're going to forget something. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> ah. Okay. <laughs> well, that means that your calendar freak doesn't solve your bad feelings. Yes, that's true. You don't trust your calendars. Right. Right. Or I get overwhelmed by them. You know, know, when when the to-do list is so long, it's like, oh, God, you know. Um, While I understand that, I also understand that the lifestyle that we have chosen winds up having way, way too much to try mm. to keep track of that. And we can say that in the sense of that your your to do list is so long because your greed for getting things done is so great. That's true that you yeah. want a lot of stuff. And now <laughs> yeah. you want so much of the stuff and now you're going to forget that you might uh, uh, you're worried that you might forget about something that you want because yes. you want so many things. So yes. that's another way then, if you've already got the calendar stuff um, arranged, we can begin to trust the calendar. If you trusted it enough to, that you wrote it down on the calendar, then you can trust the calendar and occasionally you can go through the calendar and say, yep, 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 I remember I've got to do that. I remember I've got to do this and that and the other thing. And begin mm-hmm. to trust the calendar. Right. But now we're going to also go to the point of uh, making decisions or choices about what we're going to put on that calendar. Because as you said, your calendar has got tens of thousands of things on it based upon all the things that you want. Right. And that much of Anapanasati is to recognize that that, that wanting is in fact making us dissatisfied with the way that we are. Mm-hmm. So you've got a whole lot of stuff that you want. So you've got a whole lot of reasons to be dissatisfied. That's great. <laughs> Often I, I notice a lot of the things on my list are wanting things for other people too, which I really don't have a lot of control over. So, um, yeah, I mean, yeah, the, the wanting thing is pretty big. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, there's there's two ways to approach that. Mm-hmm. One way of approaching it is, is sort of like um, the Buddha's method is kind of a one-two punch in the sense that uh, the way that Western society works We want to do it instead of the one-two punch that the Buddha has. And the Buddha's method is 
is to go and get away from all the things that we want. Go get into seclusion and practice to become satisfied with the way things are. Once we become satisfied with the way things are, now we can come back into the world if we can maintain that satisfaction. If we can't, we go back into the forest for a little while longer and get ourselves back into a state and we need to go back and forth many times until we can come back to society and maintain the satisfaction. Because now we can begin to teach the world to have satisfaction. But it's it's impossible to teach the world something that you don't know yourself. Right. It's impossible to teach something uh, if we don't know it. And so if we have that satisfaction, that means that we can go back into the world and operate from that perception. Now, uh, if you think about it um, this way, you can say that, well, if I want things for someone, let's say just person X in my life, what, why do I want that person to have so much stuff that I want them to have when in fact, all I really want them to have is some joy and satisfaction in life. Whether they get the stuff that they want or not, or whether they get the stuff I want them to have or not. The real issue for them is uh, to have joy and satisfaction in their life. So if you can have that perspective, that means that all you have to do now is to have joy and satisfaction in your own life so that you could give them the joy and satisfaction that you want them to have, and you don't need to ha- want them to have anything else. So you 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 be the example, in other words, right? That's what you're saying. Mm-hmm. And then- well, another example would be that the father wants his daughter to get a good education so she'll have a good life. He browbeats her her, her whole life. You got to study. You got to work. You got to do this, and she winds up getting a PhD in misery. <laughs> I'm guilty of that kind of stuff. <laughs> when all daddy really wanted was daughter to have um, a good life, but now yeah. he starts piling on. In order to have a good life, you've got to have a good education. In order to have a good education, you got to go to this school and that school and over, you know, and all of that. And so yeah. dad winds up with a long list of stuff that he wants for his daughter. But the original point was that he just wanted her to be happy. Sure, sure. Yeah, well, you just, I mean, you obviously, I want my kids to have skills to be able to move through life successfully or whatever, but you're right. I mean, you know, a lot of the approach to getting them to do that is it's not wholesome in any sense of the term. Right. So, in fact, if you could teach them to be satisfied, now all they have to do is learn how to move through life being satisfied. Right. But your position is, is no, you've got to teach them to move through life to find satisfaction. Right. Instead of starting out with the satisfaction from the very beginning. Right. That's the the difference in the teachings of the Buddha. Now, we can go into it in uh, looking at it from a different perspective uh, in the sense of the Christianity. Because Christianity, a major, major, important, high-quality teaching of of Christianity is the golden rule to take care of each other, to love thy neighbor as thyself, uh, friendship, um, neighborliness, uh, that, that kind of thing. And if someone practices that, then they can 
learned to do that out of practice. But in the process of learning how to do it, they're also um, are filled with a lot of ordinary feelings. And so it's a it's fits and starts and and difficult to get. It would be possible to learn to love and to be happy while staying in the world. But the Buddha recommends, no, we got to get out of it for a while. We've got to get away from it all so that we can really do some cleaning of the house to get the mind back into satisfaction including the satisfaction of hey i don't have to remember everything <laughs> but i i can remember enough <laughs> that's the way okay if i can remember enough then i can be happy i don't have to remember everything because if i have to remember everything then i'm going to browbeat and harm myself every time i recognize that i've forgotten something even if it's trivial and doesn't even matter we still wind up feeling bad because we've got the idea I've got to remember everything rather than the whole point in life is, is that, no, I don't have to remember everything. All I need is to be satisfied. That's what we have to remember <laughs> is to remember to be satisfied, to remember that everything is OK, to remember that, oh, yes, I can take my mind and come out of those flashes so that when that flash of the invoice happens, and then the bad feelings come associated with it. Let's remember at that point in time, hey, I don't have to feel bad because that invoice is not paid. That paying the invoice or not paying the invoice is one thing, but how I feel about it is something completely different. In now, what do you, words, at, I, at that point, do you talk to yourself about that? or Now, you were talking about remembering the invoice in detail. I mean, do you, should, should you do that or just say to yourself, that's not really... I mean, I can come to that invoice later. I mean, what what is that basically what you would say? Or well, the point would be then is is that whether that invoice um, is on the table or on the shelf or wherever, it right now while I'm thinking about that invoice, as that flash of the invoice comes by, I'm not paying it right now. Okay. I may pay it later, but right now I'm not paying it. I'm only feeling bad about not paying it. That's what we have to look at and remember, oh, I'm not paying the invoice. Why am I thinking about it right now? Or right. we could say, oh, I remembered that invoice. That reminds me that I've got to pay it. Now that I'm remembering and reminding myself to pay it, I'll pay it right now. Okay. Okay. And if I pay it right now, the now the question is, do I feel good while I'm paying that invoice or do I feel bad while I'm paying the invoice? Okay. So again, we have this, uh, in a way, I'm adding something new to remember rather than uh, all the stuff that uh, you have to remember already. I'm adding something to it. So and that is to, to remember mm -hmm. to look at how you feel about what you're doing right now. Over and over again, this is the teaching of the Buddha is, is to wake up to recognize that you've got a choice over how you feel right now that is a different choice than whether you're going to do something right now. Okay. There is, in fact, um, a, a corral, or, you know, it's got four quadrants to it. Okay. With a vertical line and a horizontal line. Let's use the vertical line to talk about the distinction between I'm not going to do something and I'm going to do it. 
Okay, I'm not going to pay that invoice right now. Or I'm going to pay the invoice right now. It may be uh, also the third one. I'm going to pay the invoice later. But that's the same thing as just saying, no, I'm not going to pay the invoice. Right. Now, okay. Later, we'll pay the invoice. But right now, no. Okay, so maybe even later, I'm going to defy it. I'm not going to pay that invoice. I'm going to talk to the guys. They sent it to the wrong guy. It's the wrong amount or something like that. But in any case, the choice is to pay it or to not pay it. But now we've got this horizontal line, and that horizontal line is how do we feel about it? That at the bottom, we have the feeling of I don't like it. I don't like that invoice. I don't want to pay it. And then we have the, uh, the feeling of liking. So with that, with the quadrant now, most people will not pay it and feel bad. <laughs> Others will pay the invoice and feel bad. But you have the option of when you think of that invoice and you're not going to pay it, you can feel good and says, oh, later. Never mind right now. I'm having too much fun. I'm not going to pay that invoice right now. I'm having fun. And so we can not pay it and feel good. And then eventually we can feel good by paying it and says, wow, I'm glad I got that off my chest. I don't have to think about that anymore. It's done. Okay. But so here's the point. It's not about whether we pay the invoice or not right now. It's how we feel about it right now. Mm-hmm. And we have to remember that. That's the point to remember is, is that there's two jobs to do. One is to pay the invoice or not, and the other job is how am I going to feel about it? Because we've never paid attention to how we feel about it. Our whole society is built up on whether we do the job or not. True. So that's a right effort thing, right? So that, that that's a thing where you would come in and say, well, I'm feeling this right now, and now I can reframe that as well, this is great, it's done now, or whatever it is that you want, you know, whatever reframe you're going to use to try to, you know, to make yourself feel better about it, essentially, right? Precisely. Yeah, you can use the word reframing if you if you like. That uh, is a common term. Uh, and we can think of that, uh, that, that framing is actually the circumstances or the things that are around it. Mm-hmm. Okay, in the in the sense of the organization, this is how things are organized and we normally organize around doing things and feeling bad. That's the number one place where people spend most of their time is they do it, but they don't like it. Right. How many people have a job that they don't like? It's almost everyone. <laughs> almost everyone. So almost every day people go out and spend quite a lot of time doing something that they don't want to do. That's correct. Mm-hmm. And we don't even pick up on that because we see that getting the job done is the most important thing. But now we're re reframing the whole point of it in that it's not what you do, it's how you feel about doing it. And we've got that also built into our society is just not very strong. An example of it in, in the old days, and I haven't heard this in modern uh, professional sports anywhere near the way that it would have been said 50, 70 years ago. And that is, is that what they said back then was, it's not whether you win or lose, it's how you play the game. Mm -hmm. That could be like being, are you a sore loser or are you uh, a good loser? Can you handle that? Okay, right. 
But now we've gotten to the point that, no, the game is the only thing. How you play the game is irrelevant. You can cheat, you can lie, you can steal, you can harm yourself, you can harm other people so long as you remain president right. or whatever the goal is. Right. Right. So the doing is far more important than um, uh, the living of the experience. So now we're going to make the living of the experience the most important thing. And whether we win or lose is irrelevant. The fact is that we're going to enjoy playing the game. Right. This is the new way of looking at it. But we have to remember that because we're such in a habit of trying to get the job done. That we're not paying attention to how we feel about it. So now we have to start remembering <laughs> to pay attention to how do we feel. Gotcha. We really have to pay attention to that. So this is what we need to uh, uh, to remember. Because uh, this is actually the easy thing, because I'm, I'm substituting now instead of having to remember 10,000 things because of a, a 10,000 item long to do list. Now we only I'm adding one new thing to remember. Right. And that is to remember to look at what you're doing. Look at how you're feeling. Look at the, the situation in this present moment. Because when you do that and you can become satisfied in this present moment, then that to-do list is not so important anymore. Right. That we've made it important because we're in the habit of feeling bad when things on the list don't get done. Or that we don't remember the answer to the test. But if we're completely satisfied, then we don't have to take the test. Right. Now, I know that that goes against the society. The society has been telling us our whole lives, no, you've got to go work. You've got mm -hmm. to go do something that you don't want to do. you got to do things. you got to work to eat is one of them. Okay. The, here's something just really interesting that because of COVID and other things like that, you probably heard that many by the millions of people either did not go back to their jobs when COVID uh, was over and people went back to work or those people who were already working or had gone back to work. Many of them are quitting. So it's by a bit, millions huge, people are quitting. Huge, Huge amount over here, yeah. It's hard. They they have to pay like ten dollars more an hour to get you know somebody to do anything now over here. So yeah. Congratulations to humanity for finally waking <laughs> up to recognize that that job that I had, that I was told that I have to have and that I'm supposed to have, comes with so many side issues that the job itself winds up being. Um, let us say only a part of the issue. The example is clothing, transportation, eating lunch out at the restaurant, childcare, all kinds of things like that that we have as expenses because we have to have the job. Mm -hmm. uh, when I worked for IBM, I had a whole closet full of suits whole closet full of white shirts. Many of them sure. had oil stains on them. So you couldn't <laughs> wear it anymore with an oil stain unless it was uh, uh, covered up with a suit coat. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, I don't even own a suit. <laughs> yeah. Don't even have one. Don't, don't have one white shirt, not one necktie. 
I'd be hard pressed to find an old pair of socks someplace. Any socks that I could find would be at least 10, maybe 15 years old. Yeah, we so, definitely need a lot less than uh, what people. Th- I mean, I've I've been torn between both worlds. I've been sort of a slacker, and I've done stuff, but but uh, I've never really had a regular job in my whole life, so I'm happy about that. But on on the other hand, um, you know, I I make jobs in my mind, so <laughs> might as well might as well have uh, just done the regular job. But you're right. I mean, I I feel like if I'm not doing something, then I'm uh, you know, I'm not, you know, that, that is a Western thing. Like if you're not, you know, actively, you know, making something happen, even though I really don't need anything, you know what I mean? Like I, I could sit home and have a meal with my family or I don't need to go out anywhere. You don't need to go do anything. And it's just, just enjoyable just to be around with people. One of the students just sent, um, a little story. And the story is, is that a fisherman was sitting in his boat, resting and enjoying the day. And the wealthy Uh tycoon came by and he says, why aren't you out fishing? If you go out fishing, you can get enough fish to buy a motor for your boat. And then you could go out fishing easy, go further out and get even more fish. And you can sell that. And when you get all of that fish, uh, uh, you can become wealthy like me and then you can sit down and relax. Right. <laughs> and a fisherman says, I'm already relaxed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but this is the way, uh, and, but we have bought that industrialist mental state that we've got to go get more and more and more and more and more, and then we can retire. Right. Except that most people um, I, I wouldn't say most, but it is very characteristic, probably 30 or 40 percent of all the people who retire, let us say at an arbitrary 65, by the time they're 67, they're dead. Right. Yeah. They, yeah, they don't know what to do with themselves. Well, they don't know what to do with themselves because they, <laughs> they <laughs> because they wouldn't lay down and just relax. Yeah. Because they were told they've got to go get more fish so that they can buy a motor so that they can get even more fish. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's how we live our lives without being satisfied with the way that we are. So this is the thing then is to remember, this is what Anapanasati is all about, is to get away from the world because the world is going to keep te- giving you marching orders. And so we need to get away and get out of seclusion and maybe one hour a day is not enough and we need to kind of take a real vacation. But another way of looking at it, no, if I do this four, five, six, seven, eight times a day, getting away from it and reevaluating my mind, I can get some progress done here. I think that the, uh, the, the one that doesn't work is one hour or two hours in a, one sitting meditation. That doesn't give people a lot of value. But if they quit their job and come hang out on an island without <laughs> any meditation at all, yeah. they, they're much better off because at least they're hanging out <laughs> as opposed to working and working and working. Uh, and uh, that they probably become more relaxed. So what we can practice then is four, five, six times a day, taking 10 minutes to just clean the mind out and get ourselves back into a state of relaxation, into a state of satisfaction. Everything is okay right now. 
And if you mm-hmm. practice that six times a day, it will begin to uh, seep in. Yeah, bleed over. I know. Mm-hmm. I, I I will say I've been. I haven't gotten up to six times a day. I'm doing maybe three times a day. I, I'm going to work on building it up to the six. Um, but um, one thing. Only I, ten I, minutes. I, ten fifteen. Yeah, it's, minutes. it's only ten minutes. Yeah, yeah. But the but when I I don't I haven't noticed any seeping over into the real world <laughs> as you know as much as i'd hope for um yet so i mean does that just improve over time well I, it does and one <laughs> of the things then that we have to do is say okay i'm going to remember to let it bleed over i'm going to remember to take a deep breath every couple of hours or uh we can have a, i used to give students the, uh the idea of using a cell phone and I recognize that there's a lot of meditation cell phone apps, but mm-hmm. because the culture is such that people get really attached to cell phones and we don't really need them anyway, then I wouldn't really recommend that you would do it. But you can remember uh, every 30 minutes or you can make kind of a rule every 30 minutes. You're going to stop what you're doing and take a deep breath and relax. Mm-hmm. Or maybe once an hour, every hour, you're going to take a deep breath and relax and start bringing this into uh, the context of just relaxing. You're, you're okay. You don't have to remember everything. All you have to do is to remember that you're okay. Right. Just remember everything's all right. On that note, I do have a I do. There's one thing that nags me when you talked about, you know, uh, people not working and then, you know, people uh, think they have to work to eat. I, I, I have a tough time thinking that you can't, you know, how, how are you going to eat without working? I mean, I mean, yeah, sure. You can have people give you food, but someone had to go do the work to get the food. I mean, I, I mean, somewhere it's got to come from somewhere. So. You probably have heard, I mean, we can go off into all kinds of directions about that, but it's not an issue of the food because you probably heard that the way that our food industry is set up, they throw out about 30% of it. I didn't know that now. Yeah, they throw out, yeah, any any tomato that's irregular, they're not mm-hmm. going to put it on the food store because people won't buy that. That'll be the last tomato that's bought, and so they don't. Uh, and and so that's just one example of it. But even though uh, that one tomato that has got a spot on it would have not been sold in the store, guess what? At the end of the day, a whole lot of tomatoes weren't sold at the store, and the store's got to throw out a whole lot of tomatoes. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I'm just looking at it from the position that it's not a matter of the lack of food because we've got plenty of food. Gotcha. Okay, that's the first thing to look at. The next thing to look at is the issue of uh, that not only has, let us call it big business for lack of a better term, that big business has decided that they would rather make a huge profit off of selling two thirds of the food and let the other third rot. Mm -hmm. They would also rather you keep working whether you're productive or not. That is true. They they do want to have everybody working nonstop. There's a lot mm-hmm. of movement towards that. Right. So when people talk about AI robbing all of the jobs, there has been no point in te- in the history of technology 
that technology has put a whole segment of people out of work and they've maintained that being out of work. No, because the society wants everybody out there slaving, trying, working. Uh, that that if people, uh, that in fact, that's what's uh, starting to unravel um, capitalism is the fact that people understand that they're not benefiting from the capitalism. Mm-hmm. Uh, like we mentioned about in, in the U.S., a lot of people are quitting their jobs. There's also something happening now in China. It's called laying down. Yeah, I read that article. Yeah, you guys put okay. up on yep. So the laying down that they're doing in China is basically the same thing. They are rebelling. The young people are rebelling against the, um, the government because the government is only giving them things because of productivity issues. Yeah, they want everyone to work 80 hours a week over there. That's insane. <laughs> I, I think it's called 996. From 996. 9 in the morning to 9 at night, six days a week. Wow. Wow. At least that's one good thing the U.S. did is they had all those uh, social uh, movements that happened and it kind of, you know, at least reduced some of the hours a little bit. But wasn't that during the 1930s, during the uh, um, Roosevelt administration, which was the um, the worldwide, especially the American um, reaction to the Great to the Depression. Depression? Yeah, the Depression. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because everybody was out of work. And guess what? When people are out of work because of the Great Depression, very, very, very few people starved to death during the Great Depression. That mm. it wasn't an issue of starvation because there was all kinds of food kitchens and uh, people would give food out and all kinds of things. And so we actually got more efficient because there was not so much work being done. Okay, so we're talking about it now from a societal level that kind of proves what's going on in China, what happened in the 1930s, and the people are quitting their jobs, everyone is beginning to, on their own level, prove that if you don't work, you don't eat, is a lie that they've been told. Right. But in fact, a whole lot of stuff that we do has nothing to do with food production, and yet we all eat. True. Um, and so when we disconnect that, we can recognize that there's other ways of, of living that we can. Uh, uh, the Buddha has the four requisites. Now, these when we say requisites, we're talking about requirements. We're talking about kind of a baseline of poverty. Below that line of poverty. There is some built in dukkha, the human being just does not fare well in in poverty. An example of that is rough terrain and no shoes. Okay, but very few people in the West are at that level of poverty, but many of them don't have adequate housing. Many of them don't have adequate food. Many of them don't have adequate um, uh, medical attention at all. Mm-hmm. And, and the way that they're dressed, they uh, generally don't have adequate clothing. So these are the four requisites, and the way that we want to look at it is in the sense of whatever station in life that we've come to at this particular point in view or particular point in time, we could get by on less material goods. True. 
we could get by on the standard of living that we've had. And in fact, that's something that I personally experimented with to find just the right balance so that the whole family, <laughs> quite a number of us, in fact, uh, the, there's not so many people living in the house right now, but one, two, three, four, five, six, six of us are living here on in a house that's not, it's about $250 a month. That includes uh, water, uh, electricity, because there's no air conditioning, there's no heating, uh, and uh, so it's it's actually quite uh, cheap living. But you have to kind of be careful with finding the right kind of place so that you can get free room and board, or uh, uh, at least something that's pretty close to that, so that right. we can reduce the amount of expenses that we have. But we need to do that happily, knowing what our bottom line is, knowing that, yes, I can only stay in a tent for just a few days, and then I'm going to need something better than that. (laughs) I can only be a bear and shit in the woods for so many days, and after that, (laughs) I want a toilet. But when we find our bottom line, then we can begin to shoot for, well, if that's the bottom line, then I don't need any uh, income that is higher than that. And what I've come to find out for myself now is, is that uh, the, uh, the annuities and the Social Security that I have is, is more than enough so that right. we actually put away money every month. I put away more money every month than I spend every month. That's great. Yeah, that's good. Well, <laughs> it's all, I don't know, it, it's nothing special about it because all that money will be there when I die. The only possibility <laughs> of ever needing that money is the United States stop doing Social Security, and that's possible. Yeah. Yeah, it's possible that they can get so greedy that they won't even to take the, uh, the money from the elderly and make 75 and 80 people year old people work with no job to do and no productivity but at least we got them back working again yeah they're definitely working on that they do that with the property taxes too so people pay their stuff off and they're finally free and then they keep bump everything up so that's like oh i gotta go work a job now just to go pay the taxes on the house i paid off 20 years ago Mm -hmm. (laughs) and in fact all they need to do is move out of that house yeah, well, I mean, in the U.S., I don't know. There's, it's a little rough because where are you going to go if you move out of that house, you know? Yeah. Well, um, it has to do with the mentality of the people. An example of that is so many people are looking at tiny houses now. Yeah. There are well, millions you got to have land, though. you got to you got to have a place to put it, though. That's the thing. Right. Yeah. But uh, a, a very, very small plot of land is very, very cheap. But the um, the zoning is such that that may be hard to do. That's yeah, that's exactly yeah. They they won't let yeah. you put it there. That's the other issue. <laughs> well, all of the zoning laws have come to the point that the zoning laws are actually a part of the mentality of I'm stuck. Mm-hmm. But you can in fact find ways around even the zoning laws. Yeah, if you put it on a, you got to put it on a. Uh... Uh, a movable object usually that's a, that's how they do it that's how you get around it it can't be on a permanent structure i've looked into it, it was, i wanted to put one in my backyard 
Uh, one of those. They're really, they're really cool. Those little houses. And you could do that with the uh, containers too. You know, the you could buy. Well, I don't know. I think they've gone up now. But the all the the shipping containers you used to be able to buy a used one for two thousand bucks. Mm-hmm. Drop that in your backyard. It's completely airtight. <laughs> I mean, well, by the you, time they sell them used for two thousand dollars, they're not airtight anymore. Yeah, probably not. But I mean, you could you could seal it back up, and you know, it's no I problem. Mean, exactly. Yeah. Because you, uh, those <laughs> containers are designed to have eight, ten, and twelve of them full of goods stacked on top of each other. So yeah, yeah, they're pretty uh, sturdy. <laughs> and so that's why they sell off the used ones. And in fact, there's a place in Tainan that it, it's just it's a huge area, maybe a huge square mile or nothing, but uh, and they're disarranged. I mean, they were just dumped there. They weren't organized oh, just, at all. Oh, they just dump them. <laughs> they just dump them. Because the Thai people haven't figured out that they can make houses out of them yet. Yeah, yeah. And you can make pools out of them. I mean, all kinds of stuff. You know, really cool stuff. Really cool stuff. <laughs> well, that's all again about the recycling. That, in fact, a lot of people uh, live quite well, uh, easy, living an easy life by just recycling a few things that come to them easy enough. Right, right. So um, the whole idea of if you don't work, you don't eat, that is built into the, uh, the legal system, the zoning laws, the taxation laws. Everything is designed to keep you busy and keep you working so that somebody else can make some money off of your labor. Right. Right. But we don't, aren't taught that in school. What we're taught is to fit in, go along to get along, go to get a job that you don't like. That's that's a requirement. Okay, so um, if you can remember that you can not have to work right this very moment. If you can remember that you can relax right now, that if you can remember that you can be satisfied for a little while, and come out of the greed of wanting to remember everything. You could just remember one thing, and that is, I remember enough. I remember to be happy. <laughs> That's the difference. That's why uh, the teaching of the Buddha is so radical. Is because, in a way, it will destroy if people enough of people understand it and start to practice it. It will destroy the gross national product. That that uh, it will destroy the zoning laws because nobody pays any attention to the zoning laws. You don't have to take the zoning law off the book. You just ignore it. Right. Right. Well, you do got to watch out. For, you got to watch out for the jackboots that'll come in though when you when you ignore stuff in the U.S. But, yeah. Well, the jack <laughs> the guys who were wearing the jackboots though they're part of that society. And that it has to do with being able to make friends with everyone. So when the jackboots come, they're probably not. That, the jackboots coming is probably uh, a story that you've been told that you believe in. But very, very few jackboots come onto property. They're too busy being out on the highway uh, molesting people driving around. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> well, that is profitable. <laughs> Because that's really, really profitable. (laughs) Harassing you because you've got a shed in the backyard. (laughs) 
or that there's too many people living in the house. Yeah. Well, they, it does, does seem to me that they're moving in that direction, though, where they that, because uh, it, there seems to be a huge push to, uh, you know, have everything go to plant based stuff because the margins are huge. You know, you could sell, you know, 10 cents worth of grains for, you know, two dollars when you package it right. Whereas, you know, something like, you know, beef or whatever has a very low, you know, margin and it it's pretty intensive to create. So, you know, there's a huge push on, you know, not having, you know, people can't have, you know, a goat in their backyard for milk or whatever, because, you know, whatever, it's breaking some regulation or something. <laughs> you know, so, you know, simple things like that. Uh, I don't know of a goat, but I do know that the, labor, the neighbor over here has a pig and the ones uh -huh. back there have chickens. Nice. <laughs> nice. Uh, I, I I don't know why that had had happened of getting animals out of the city. India's just fine with animals in the city. They've got sacred cows all yeah, over yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. It has to do with this control issue of we want to keep everybody poor and dependent upon the economy. You yeah, got to go yeah. get a job. You can't just have a chicken in your backyard. Yeah. Can't, you got to go to a store to get everything. <laughs> you got to go to a store. Well, see, people are beginning to figure that out, that that's backwards. Right. That, in fact, we can have a garden. Right. That we can just relax and enjoy our lives, that we don't have to keep struggling and striving. Right, right. But the, the problem, though, with everyone like yourself is, is that we don't remember the right things that you're trying to remember everything in order to get your to-do list when in fact the right thing to remember is that you could relax and forget about the to-do list for a little while <laughs> maybe not permanently but if you get used to forgetting about it for a while maybe the next time you can forget about it a little while longer maybe you can go all day without worrying about that to-do list <laughs> Take the day off. Yeah. Maybe take a week off. You don't have to worry about that to-do list for a week. Did you stop nice. putting? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so that's what you can start looking for. Is is that can you remember to not put stuff on the to-do list? Can you remember to keep your to-do list empty? <laughs> or at least. Right now, at least for this period moment, let me at least remember right now, I can take a deep breath and just relax. And we need to practice that over and over and over throughout the day so that you can come down to about 10 or six times a day. You can actually relax and get rid of that to-do list for about five or 10 minutes. You can just forget all about it and just enjoy the moment. This is the practice of Anapanasati, is to remember to take the right effort to throw that to-do list out of the mind for a moment and to take a deep breath and relax. Everything's okay, everything is fine, I'm satisfied with this present moment, all is good. That's what we need to remember. Right. Now, if things pop into your mind while you're doing, you know, taking that moment, 
the best thing to do would just to is that why you go back to the breath because it's such a basic low level thing you say well this is the breath it's is a, good it's an ex, <laughs> it is it's an excellent anchor and you can see that at the baseline when you're sitting or laying in bed and doing absolutely nothing the body's not moving or anything the only thing that the body is doing is breathing and right. it's doing it right here right now so that would be what we would mean then by the baseline is to pay attention to the reality of the situation and the reality of the situation is this human body is laying here breathing or sitting here breathing right okay and so then we can begin to build the sati in the sense of this breath this is an, uh, a life-giving long in-breath and it's delicious if you don't think that that uh, an in breath is delicious, try going five or ten minutes without one. <laughs> and then when you take that breath, it really will be delicious. Yeah. <laughs> well, you're right about that. The uh, I did the uh, Wim Hof has a breathing thing where he has you do uh, forty really really deep breaths, and then he has you do a breath hold. And you can hold your breath a lot longer, I guess, because your body gets oxygenated from, right. you know, mm -hmm. basically hyperventilating. And, um, you know, you can hold it for probably almost two minutes, really, um, which is um, kind of amazed me because if I try to hold my breath now, I could do it for maybe 20 seconds. But um, but when you take that deep breath after that, oh, my God, it's the... <laughs> It's it's the it's exactly what you said. It's like heavenly, amazing. Yes, it is. <laughs> All right. So now that you know that, you can begin to practice that little bit of heaven every time you remember to take a long, deep in breath. Ah, oh, that's so nice. And then we can sigh and relax. Okay. So that breathing in and out with sati on the in breath to remember to take a long breath, to remember to enjoy it. To remember to pay attention to it. And then on that out breath, to remember to let it be a long out breath that is relaxing. So as you breathe out, you relax. And everything is good in and out and easy. And you'll do that for a few minutes and then you'll forget all about it and go off and do something else. But the fact that we did that put us in a much better state than if we had not been doing it at all. Right, right. And pretty soon that they start to collect so that you're just sitting at your desk looking at some piece of paper. And then all of a sudden <sighs> you remember to take a long, deep breath and pretty soon they become connected. This is why we want to practice it many times during the day so that they'll begin to connect between those times. If we don't only do it once a day, then we're not building up the habit because we're then spending another 23 hours a bad habit rather than right. over and over and over again we keep coming back to i'm okay keep coming back to everything is all right wow what a nice deep breath this is not a care in the world right now gotcha. so we begin to work on coming out of that i don't like it or i'm in misery into i've got this wired everything is good everything is okay i'm satisfied things are fine but our whole society teaches us to stay dissatisfied. Why? Because you cannot be manipulated if you're satisfied. 
the charlatans have known for years and years and years is that you cannot rob an honest man. What they mean by that is, is that if somebody is not interested in the greed that you're offering him, then he's not going to invest in your sham company. It's only because he's greedy that he's willing to give you the money so that he can get a return on his investment. If you're already satisfied, then you'll look very closely at that charlatan to recognize this isn't a charlatan here. But those can't see the charlatan because their greed is blinding them. They want something, and that wanting is more important than anything else to them. This is why charlatans are in business, have been for many centuries, and will continue right along. That's the basis of all sales. First, find out what the pain is. <laughs> mm-hmm. find, find the pain and hit, keep keep poking it till you, you know, and then present your product. <laughs> Isn't it interesting that when you say that, that that reminds me that there is actually it's in the um, uh, in the great 40 in the Buddha's exposition of um, the Eightfold Noble Path, where he's talking about right livelihood, mm-hmm. that buying and selling is an item. Oh, really? Now, what we mean that. by that is, is that it's not. Uh, let us say the way that the monks would would do that is the monks do a bit of buying, but and, and in fact most people were we do a whole lot more buying than we do selling. Once you buy something, you bring it home and you keep it long enough that it's worn out and broken, and then nobody wants it, and so you take it out to the street. Uh, out to the street, you've probably done that with easy chairs before. Yep. Right. There's not much of a market for used easy chairs. No. So, um, the point, though, is is that we're not talking about buying is wrong and selling is wrong. What we're talking about is business, the art of buying and selling, of buying for a low price and selling it for a high price. The Buddha would consider that, um, uh, let us say, not noble. It's not a high-quality business uh, because we're lying to people. We're, we're poking, we're trying to find out what the need is, find out where their pain is so that we can lie to them and tell them that this product will fill your pain. Right. And he buys a product and pays you the money and he goes off and now he's got both the product and his pain. <laughs> well, I think some products do solve some of the pain that people think they have, but probably not the underlying pain, like, you know. <laughs> right. That if you, in fact, buy that new car because you needed the transportation, but what you bought is the bad feelings of the first scratch, the repair right. bills and the mortgage on that car. Right. That the car hasn't made you feel good yet. Right. It maybe did the day you bought it, but the month after you bought it, now it's an obligation, not a um, a blessing. Right. Right. That's what happens with all the merchandise, though. Everything you buy and everything you eat turns to shit. (laughs) When we get used to that, then we say, yeah, but that's the way that things are. Therefore, if, uh, uh, if I want something, I should be careful about what I want. Because it's the wanting that causes the problem. And if I didn't, if I stopped wanting it, 
then that's the same as getting it and having to deal with the fact that I bought it, I've had to pay for it, and now I've got to deal with the fact that it's rusting and falling apart. If mm-hmm. I didn't want it in the first place, I was good to go. But if I wanted it, now look at all the trips. I've got to go find it. I've got to go buy it. I probably got lied to when I bought it. I'm unhappy with it. I'm unhappy yeah. with the dealer and all of these bad feelings. And I could have been friends with that dealer if I hadn't bought anything from him. But they didn't want anything. Yeah, I I tell that to my wife all the time. I said maintenance is like the 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 uh, downside of modern life. <laughs> Everything has to be maintained. Mm-hmm. And they spend all your time maintaining things. <laughs> Precisely. <laughs> and that's especially true if the maintenance has to do when the things are disorganized. If mm-hmm. things are very, very highly organized, then the maintenance is a whole lot easier. And right. one of the best ways to organize things is to have that space where that item would be empty. Now, that's <laughs> organization. <laughs> right. Just things don't, even, don't even have it. <laughs> don't even bother with it. Exactly. Right. Okay. Right. So back to this whole talk that we've been having about memory. The whole idea then is to be careful about what you're going to remember. Because normally we want to remember everything. Oh, I learned it and I should remember it. But that's just setting us up for feeling bad. That you can say that, oh, well, I remember enough. Because, in fact, you have remembered enough. You're still alive. You haven't forgotten how to breathe. (laughs) You haven't still wake, still wake up on, in the morning. Mm-hmm. You haven't forgotten to wake up in the morning. You haven't forgotten to go pee. Right. So you've already you've remembered the important things. That's a way of looking at. It. Well, I've got all the good stuff wired down. I don't have to remember everything, but I do have to remember what to remember. What's enough to remember? It's like a meta meta memory. <laughs> Precisely. That's what sati is. It's kind of a meta memory to remember to look at what you're doing right now. Yeah. To remember to evaluate is is that the desire to remember that thing is causing me trouble right now. Right. Why don't I stop wanting to remember that and just sit and enjoy the moment? I'll think of it later. Right. Yeah, I noticed that Buddhism seems like um that's really intuitive idea of uh, intuitive knowledge of uh, our executive brain function. Really, <laughs> it's, it's a lot of it. It's about it's like mm-hmm. you know using that to look at the lower functions and and organize it, kind of almost. Precisely so that you could say that in fact there are three areas of the brain, and because of that there are three areas of the mind, and because of that. That means that we have three different ego states or three different ways of doing things. Mm-hmm. Number one, the baseline is what they call the reptilian brain that takes care of the bodily functions like digesting the food and the heart beating and that kind of stuff. But it's also the, the point of all of your uh, motor movements. The example that I would use would be the example of an alligator. 
the brain that the human has is similar to, uh, or at least part of the brain of the human, the anterior cortex is very, very similar to the alligator's brain in its structures and its functions and everything. The only thing that's different is the cerebellum on the human is much bigger. But mm -hmm. other than that, all of that stuff is there, which means that anything that you can do that an alligator can do, you do it with the same part of the brain that the alligator does it. Mm -hmm. Falling around, wagging our tails, eating, <laughs> opening our eyes, seeing, breathing, that kind of stuff is all done with the reptilian part of the brain. But there's something that the reptiles cannot do, and that is that they do not herd together, they don't rest together, they do not have any cooperation, that every alligator is on his own. That when you woke up as a baby, baby, baby alligator, that's because you popped out of a shell that was in the sand and mommy is no place in sight and you're getting nothing of training from her. But humans and, and uh, mammals that have live birth, we have a different part of the brain for mommy to nurture the young. That mm -hmm. nurturing of the young becomes the, um, uh, the nesting instinct and that nesting instinct then comes with rules in the sense of who owns the place sets the rules. Mm -hmm. um, Daddy tells the teenage daughter, if you're going to dress like that, you can't live in my house. <laughs> right? So that's that nesting instinct there. And guess what? Our entire society is built upon that. If you don't follow the rules, we're going to take you out of society, maybe kill you or put you in prison or send you, deport you someplace else or whatever. But if yeah. you're going to be in this nest, you're going to have to follow these rules. Yeah, it's excommunication. Goodbye. <laughs> okay. Well, that's what, <laughs> and every child learns that, that you've got to learn your ABCs so that you can learn to read, so that you can get good grades in school, so that you can get a degree, so you can get a job, so that you can work. <laughs> and we teach our kids that their whole lives. True. But we don't teach the kids, hey, man, you're okay like you are. You're good enough just right now. Aren't you having fun in your life? We don't teach that to our kids. Or very few of the kids are taught that. Very right. few kids are taught that you're okay even if you didn't make an A on that test. True. It was okay that you made a C. <laughs> Did you enjoy the test? So we've got all of these social pressures that are put on every one of us as children. And almost all of them are artificial. Not necessary. Some of them are um, uh, downright necessary. In other words, we have to teach the kids to behave themselves long enough for them to gain the wisdom to recognize that they have to behave themselves for their own sake rather than because they're following the rules. So we give the kids the rules in the first place. The problem is that most of humanity remains rule-bound for the rest of their life because of this midsection of the brain that we call the temporal cortex or the mammalian brain, which is the source of all the rules, all the ways of things that are supposed to do. How do we fit in? Mm -hmm. The herding instinct with the understanding that if you are in the middle of the herd, you're more safe than if you were on the outside of the herd. Right. This is what gives us status and 
organization and wanting to be the top dog. Why? Because that the idea instinctually is, is that the top dog is the most safe because he's got everybody around him to protect him. Right. The reality of the situation is everybody wants to be a top dog. And if you're the top dog, you're the target now. <laughs> and being the top dog is, in fact, the most unsafe thing that you can do. Right. Everyone's gunning for you. Everybody's gunning for us because everybody else has the same instinct that you do of wanting to right. be the top dog. Yep. And because of it. Our, our society becomes dangerous. So if we can remember, <laughs> Sati, that you're okay right now, that you don't have to compete, that you don't have to show yourself up better than somebody else, if you, you just relax for the moment. That's when you're beginning to get real um, value out of the teaching of the Buddha is when you can actually enjoy the moment to remember that right now is okay. Right now is fine. All of my problems and all of my worries are either in the past or in the future, but right now everything is all right. We have to remember that. That's what we need to remember. That's going to be the uh, the work for this week. <laughs> okay. Just remember <laughs> Tie a string around your finger, tattoo a crucifix <laughs> on your shoulder or something. But remember, <laughs> remember to take a deep breath and relax. And in that relaxing, that means to throw out all of the hindrances. Aha, I see you, anxiety. Aha, I see that invoice that it popped right through the mind. It just popped through, but I don't have to have anxiety because I remember that invoice. I can say, never mind, I'll pay it later. It's okay. No problem. This is the, the thing to remember. That's the important thing. So today we've talked about basic things that we don't remember things well because we don't remember them because uh, we didn't learn it in the first place. We weren't paying really close attention that we don't keep track of things or we're not organized very well. And so when we need something, we can't find it inside the mind because it doesn't have its associations in, in place to find it. And then at the time when we have to drag it out, that's when we don't remember. We can't find it because it wasn't organized. And that, um, but when we don't remember the first moment, that means that now we start to feel bad Instead of searching our memory, we're in bad feeling. Right. Oh, I can't remember. So now is the time to actually remember the important thing, and that is, oh, I don't have to get confused and, and beat myself up because I don't remember something. I'm okay. Maybe I'll remember it five minutes from now. I don't have to remember it right now. I'm okay. Everything is all right right now. So that's what we have to remember over and over again. That's why I recommend practicing it six times a day. Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to start setting some uh, timers so I can, you know, do the six, six, uh, six times. All right, here's something you can do. You've got four fingers. That's enough on two hands that you can tie up uh, uh, six <laughs> fingers. You put a little tie on, on six fingers and every time you remember 
to take a deep breath, you can pull a string off and say, okay, I got that. Go. <laughs> so there's little techniques that we can use, anchors, memory yeah. uh, bubbles, and the breath is supposed to be the, the big one to remember because the breath is always there to remind you. Yeah, it is a nice. Uh, it's it, it makes things easy because you don't have to. Really, you know, it's always going to be there, right? It's always going to be there. So good luck with this, Christian. Thank Go you. to remember, remember, remember that all you have to do is just take a deep breath and relax. That's enough. That's all you need to remember is to be happy. I appreciate it, Damron. I'll be working on this this week and enjoying it while I'm doing it. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Enjoy. So we'll see you later, Chris. This has been a really good talk. I've really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Okay, bye-bye.